Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Amanda Florizakowski. Amanda's toddler was taken from her arms in a local grocery store. With her daughter recovered, Amanda began researching. She realized this was much more than an abduction attempt when the pattern resembled child sex trafficking in America, something that she knew little about, and it was terrifying. We pray in this episode that you will find the freedom from your own mom fears, therefore allowing you to fight this injustice fiercely by applying biblical truths and practical exercises that will forever change the way you mother. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Thank you for being my guest today on the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I am so glad to be here. I love what the love offering podcast stands for and hearing your heart. Your toddler was taken from your arms and afforded sex trafficking abduction at a grocery store. Would you share this terrifying and experience with us? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I think that's what um, my story is most, you know, my life story is most known for is this experience that I had back in 2016. My daughter was two and a half at the time I was shopping in our local grocery store I was um, about ready to complete my shopping trip when a man um, pretty much abruptly hit, you know, was nose to nose with my cart and intercepted my little shopping experience um, and started talking to me about how cute my children were. And I was, you know, every mom knows the nap down countdown is on. And I was not really ready to engage any conversation because I had plenty to do that day. Um, but I remember vividly everything about that brief interaction and, you know, thank you very much. And went on my business and come to find out later that that was the first of four individuals that I would come in contact with in that store that I believe now we're working together in a sex trafficking ring. Um, two others were actually at a register kind of, tearing there as I got into line, the gentleman and the female, he looked straight ahead and did not have any interaction with our family. Um, but immediately after I let this couple go ahead in front of me, I saw they had very few items, um, which I think is another, there's so much now that I know about child sex trafficking, but is another indicator, you know, um, there wasn't much to leave the store with, but this this woman immediately struck up a conversation with me about my two and a half year old daughter, despite having this cooing baby, um, newborn in my cart. And when I say conversation, that's probably giving too much credit to our interaction. It was really only one or two questions. And the question she continually asked was how old my daughter was. And I'm and Rachel sincerely, maybe three or four times. And what made the hair stand up in the back of my neck is that this gentleman was speaking in a different language over his shoulder to her. And then she would ask me how old my daughter was. And then she would respond to this man in a language I couldn't understand my response. And by the third time I realized she's translating to this man, what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, it was terrifying, but at the same time, we as Christians um, can sometimes stifle that Holy Spirit feeling because we've been conditioned to think, you know, 
to be maybe politically correct or to not step on anyone's toes or to not hurt anyone's feelings. And so I was in this tension of going, okay, something about this doesn't feel right. And then the other side of that coin was, but I'm probably just overreacting. You know, they're from a different country. I'm not being sensitive. They probably don't understand how they're making me feel. Um, until the end of that interaction where the woman um, had her hand on my cart. And again, knowing what I know now about child trafficking, any security camera and, and even worker um, who later attest uh, to saying, well, I just thought you guys were together um, because this woman had her hand mm -hmm. on my cart and she was standing so close to me. And I just stopped. I mean, I stopped. I put my hand on my infant. I picked up my daughter who I had just let out of the cart because um, as we got into line, because, you know, she's wiggly and ready to go. And I just thought I'm taking in everything about this interaction because now all the bells and whistles are going off. She's her proximity is so close to me. So she asked to hold my daughter. Mm. And at this point I have her in my arms and I said, no, you know, actually I think her diaper is and is wet left my mouth. This woman who only had to put her hands out in front of her chest because that's how close we were standing to one another. She didn't even have to extend her hands all the way, her arms all the way. Um, took my daughter from my arms. And that was the only time she put distance between me and herself. And at that point, she looked at my daughter and she asked her to parrot the words, say bye-bye to mommy. And despite my son being in the cart, I lunged forward and had to, um, you know, remove myself from my infant son because I needed to retrieve my daughter. And one of the questions I get asked the most is, you know, what, what do you think would have happened? And what do you think her plan was? And um, there's so much to this story. And I answer that question in detail. Um, but briefly, for every mom out there, I do want her to know that something very typical in the initial stages of, of uh, child sex trafficking is what we call grooming. And so I think that was a simple grooming technique that should I have been um, uh, distracted putting groceries in my car, it would have been very easy for a trafficker who had groomed my child to lift her out of a cart and, and repeat the words, say bye-bye to mommy. Now, can I, can I say that beyond a shadow of a doubt? No, but knowing the techniques, I think that's a really important piece of the story that I want to tell moms. Um, and again, there's so much more to that story, but I do want to throw that out there. When, after this happened, the fourth gentleman that I believe was um, participating, and you'll hear towards the end of the book, confirmation of that in a fairly miraculous way. Um, I kind of slumped over the counter after I took my daughter back and had words with this woman who then she and her partner, um, because I was in such a state of shock, I couldn't even tell you truly where they went. I just clung to my two kids and kind of fell over the belt at the register and looked at the woman behind the counter. And I don't even know what made me say it to this day, other than the Holy spirit putting it in, in my heart was, I think my daughter was just the potential victim of child sex trafficking And the movement behind her was so sharp and purposed that I immediately realized there was a man standing behind her with no groceries, no, you know, not checking out, no intention. He had no reason to be there, not standing near anyone, but he was essentially watching this interaction. And then when I started to 
when I uttered those words, it was like this man was shooting daggers at me. I mean, he, everything in him did not want me to say what I was saying. That man now I know, um, because my story went viral, actually is a trafficker. His victim reached out to me and he's currently imprisoned. Wow. Yeah. The sad part is that he will be out um, soon, but that's a whole nother topic of debate in this um, arena of child sex trafficking is the very lax and limited jail time that these people are getting, if any. You know, I think what, you know, any, any mother that's listening right now knows like how, how easy it is to be distracted by the, the jobs that we're having to do at that moment or, you know, like on our phones or when you're shopping and especially if you have multiple children. And I think what you even said about, um, us as, Maybe even because you're in Texas, I'm in Kentucky, and I even just that, and, and as Christians, how we are, um, especially in the South, I feel like supposed to be um, kind and you know well mannered and and to speak to everyone and um, and the fact that you know that we should listen to the Holy Spirit when we're starting to feel that way, and um, but but I'm interested to hear how your experience changed the way that you now mother your children? Yeah. Well, initially, (laughs) I'll be really, really transparent. I became undone. I mean, you know, we kind of, we hear that term post-traumatic stress and I had experienced that full tilt. I mean, I had had this experience and then Rachel, I talk about this in the book, but shortly after that, um, our family nearly lost our, well, recovered our son in a, um, drowning accident. And then four weeks after that, we had a devastating house fire that nearly took two of our, our other kiddos lives. And then even though all four of our children's lives in that short two year period had been threatened, we did lose our fifth child in miscarriage. And so initially, how did I respond? I mean, I just became undone. I, I, it was the reality that I cannot protect my children. Um, and I don't know how, and I'm not, I'm not equipped for this. I mean, I just felt so fearful. I was overcome by that emotion. Um, but I'll tell you later, the, the concept that I wasn't in control was actually my comfort because I came to this point where I realized I really can't protect my kids. And that forces you as a believer to put your trust in the one who can you know what I mean? Like that reality for the woman listening, thinking that this could never happen to me. Would you share some facts that you have discovered on this topic? Yeah. And I think that lends itself to the second part of um, the answer to how has this experience to change, you know, change the way that I, I mother my children, because today I obviously don't parent undone. Um, when I came home from that experience, I thought, well, I never sat down to research, which is something I inherently do, um, to prove that my daughter had been trafficked. I simply started there because it had fallen out of my mouth, and I felt like that's where God wanted me to start. And you have to understand, I lived in a small, rural East Texas town at the time, and I 
had heard about trafficking happening overseas. I had heard murmurings of how we can support it at my church, but I had no idea just how pervasive it was, not only in America, but even in rural small towns and how vulnerable I was. You see, I don't think my daughter was the most vulnerable one that day. I think the reason that we were targeted is because I seemed vulnerable as a parent. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, um, the reason I mother differently today is because of what I know. The um, average mama um, who is thinking it could never happen to me was a, is a lot like I was. I mean, I, it's, it's not that I didn't think it could happen. It's just that I never really contemplated it. It seemed like a concept that was really far off. Um, but it didn't seem, and I knew that there were ways that I could affect it by supporting and giving money, but I never understood that it could affect me. And after this happened, I was forced to understand that reality that it affects all of us. And the only way to not really see trafficking is to, um, kind of close our eyes to it. We hear more about trafficking now more than ever, but I still think that, that there's this, um, you know, be, because of the, the the disconnect between the data and the everyday mom, there's still that disillusionment that it doesn't affect us. And so I want to talk a little bit about the reality of how it does affect us. And I want to also address um, why that data is not being connected to us as moms. And that truly is the platform that I'm standing on, is that I want to connect the everyday mom to what she needs to know. In the last five years, Rachel, five years, we have seen not trafficking, but child sex trafficking increase by 846%. Oh my goodness. So what that means is the reason that we're not getting a lot of this data, the reason we're not hearing, well, this is happening in your community is because the evolution of this epidemic is happening so rapidly. When this happened in 2016, um, child sex trafficking was the third largest crime. I'm sorry, human trafficking was the third largest crime in the world. It was um, neck and neck at the time with arms dealing. And now in 2019, it has surpassed arms dealing. It is right behind the international drug trade. And the last that I've researched, it's actually um, intended to surpass that. You have a lot of drug traffickers that are going, okay, I can sell drugs one time, or I can coerce or abduct a child um, or woman or youth, and I can use them eight to 10 times a day. And so mm -hmm. there's so much more money to be made that you have these drug traffickers that are recognizing, like we all do, that, 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 well, that that I'm suggesting we should is that this is a business. And so we're, because of this, um, great evolution, the, the debt, we just can't even keep up. And so you're hearing things. Um, I'll just read a few things to you here. Let's see here. You're hearing things like the national center for, um, mm, Okay, the definition that we see in Homeland Security to date, it says not all indicators of trafficking listed are present in every human trafficking situation. And the presence or absence of any of the indicators is not necessarily proof of human trafficking. In other words, even in the, the definition in Homeland Security, there's so much we don't know. The leading researcher on human trafficking 10 years ago made a statement 
and said publicly, this is not an epidemic we really need to worry about. It is not growing or thriving in the capacity that we really think it is. And we know now, 10 years later, that's simply not the case. And so this idea that it doesn't affect us, it's not in our backyards, um, is, is not the reality of it. The reality is that it is in all of our backyards and that the experts who actually are boots on the ground, not just these data collection resource centers that are vital and helpful, don't get me wrong, but a little outdated because their data doesn't account for children um, that can't speak and can't talk. And we know now that child trafficking is happening to kiddos that young. It doesn't account for victims who are ashamed um, or embarrassed. It doesn't account for victims who are terrified of their pimp um, or even their parents and don't want to talk about it. And so we, the, the data is very limited. The researchers know that. In fact, I think it's page 16 of the 2019 um, National Trafficking in Persons Report that just came out this year. It, it gives a whole, the page 16, the entire thing starts out saying, listen, the data collection for these four reasons is not, can't be accurate. Um, we, we don't, we know that this is happening more than we can actually prove. And so in 2016, I had a lot of pushback with people, um, definitely in the secular media, but even traffic, you know, traffic, what I would consider trafficking experts saying, mm, I don't know, your toddler was really young. Um, and also abduction is not, you know, doesn't really fall in the trafficking parameters. Well, we're seeing now, even in mainstream media, that's not the case. I mean, we're seeing abductions. We're seeing kids as young as infants. Um, that are being abducted by even, you know, by female pimps. And I mean, it is the reality that we as parents must be vig vigilant because this is increasing at a rate because first sin knows no boundaries. It certainly doesn't. And secondly, because one of the things I talk about extensively is that this is not just an atrocity to a trafficker, this is a business. Anything that can be bought can be sold. And because it's a business, it's going to be just like any other Fortune 500 company. There's going to be evolution. There's going to be thinking outside the box. There's going to be um, co a competitive edge. And we as parents, if we recognize trafficking is not an atrocity only, but a business can logically think this is not something in these perfect little confines of the bullet points, maybe in trafficking data, but there is opportunity for this thriving business to work outside of a framework in a very, you know, we can logically reason that and say, yeah, if it can be bought and sold, it, it's going to happen. Like we have to be aware of that. We have to say as a parent, I'm going to be vigilant so the trafficker doesn't take advantage of me. So what are some must know tips to outsmart a trafficker? Yeah, this is a great question um, because we must as parents, you know, there, first of all, you have to know what you don't know. For instance, I didn't know that protected by the first amendment with little exception, it is currently legal in nearly all 50 states for a stranger to take pictures or video of your child without your consent. And did you know they can actually post it? to social media or the internet or any website, um, perfectly legal. And so, you know, first knowledge is power. 
um, as parents just knowing, but where do you get that information? Well, as I've come to find out, like I said, I've set it up to explain how rapidly this is happening in the evolution. It is a full-time job to research this. I mean, it really is. That's essentially what I do. It's a full-time job to know the ins and the outs, what's going on, how it's evolving. And so um, I've done two things. The first is if you go to my website, amandaflow.com, I actually have um, a, a um, exercise, not an exercise, excuse me, a resource. If you click on resources, you can find the document titled um, 11 ways to outsmart a trafficker and 11 ways, you know, 11 things traffickers don't want you to know. And it gives an extensive list of just where you can get started as a parent, at least. And then the second thing, which is hot off the press, um, you, what I'm happy to share here for the first time is that we are as a team um, understanding just how cumbersome it is to gather all the data as a parent. And so we wanna make it really convenient for parents to go to one place and, and get all that. And so um, we are preventing, a, excuse me, we are creating a prevention resource for all parents that um, will be rolling out into the marketplace that has eight different pillars and it covers everything from um, visual training on self-defense even training for uh, and self-defense that your child can learn. It covers um, in another pillar, the best products and how to protect your children online. Um, I mean, it just runs the whole gamut. It's everything and, and anything that a parent and a child need to know to be vigilant in this day and age. And um, they're in little bite-sized bite pieces and they're appropriate for families. So you could listen to them in the car, um, you know, on your way to work or to school, uh, while cleaning up, you know, dinner at night, just these little chunks to keep every family vigilant and to keep you a step ahead of truthfully a culture, um, and a trafficking culture that, that doesn't want families to protect their kids. Yeah. It sounds like being proactive rather than reactive. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great, great resources. Well, because of your experience, you wrote a book titled Unraveled, Mothering Fiercely in a World Full of Fears, and you encourage women to live a fearless narrative. What are some of the first steps to doing that? Oh, yeah. The whole um, latter part of the book, I address this and because really, I think it's the first step in eradicating child trafficking is eradicating mom fear. I really do. Um, this is a deep well. And I, and I love that you say, what is the first step? Because you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, and my story uniquely, um, what's the word I'm looking for, qualified me to be able to give unwavering advice and personal examples because I had walked through this, you know, I had walked through the trauma of um, recognizing the fear that exists. And, you know, um, the very first step is I went back to the word of God and in the book of Genesis in Genesis three is the very first time we hear motherhood talked about. The very first time in that chapter, when we hear motherhood discussed, it was in relation to the curse that we were given. 
And so one of the things that really freed me is that when I started studying out motherhood and that curse where, you know, now sin exists and there has to be a penalty for it. The penalty I always thought was that there would be um, in that delivery room pain and suffering. And there is. Mm -hmm. But when you really study out the original words used in scripture, it's not limited to just the delivery room. It actually talks about motherhood's lifelong struggle with and, and pain and sorrow in raising children in that we will always have concern over them, whether they're five or 50, we just do. And so for me, that was really liberating to acknowledge that to be tempted to fear is not wrong. And I, and I, that sounds maybe kind of um, basic or trite. But when you've been through the circumstances that I've been through, and maybe some of our listeners have been through, and you start, um, even if you haven't, when you start, like you said, hearing these facts and statistics of how depraved and disgusting this epidemic is lurking around every corner for our kiddos, and not to sound dramatic, I mean, it's a reality, um, you, you step back and you are tempted to be afraid. And so that's a very normal, natural human response. Succumbing to that fear is really the second step. Well, you actually say that you have fought fear and won. So would you just share how have you outrun the fears that have robbed you of freedom and peace and convinced you that your children can't be safe in this broken world? Yeah. So when you, um, uh, okay, so I'll start here. For me personally, um, I'll just share a, a really intimate story. My husband and I would wake up in the middle of the night with horrific nightmares. Um, after, you know, like I said, all this stuff happened to our family within about a two year window. And so we are both, we are both um, found our son in the pool and our, the two individuals that resuscitated him before paramedics even got there. And so um, we also obviously came home to our house on fire. I mean, we, we experienced firsthand some of these traumas. And so we would have these nightmares and we would take turns waking the other one up and saying, I just need you to pray for me right now. And so I had just gotten done studying on Jacob and I woke up one night from another nightmare. And I just immediately went back to that story. And I thought, Lord, I'm done running. Like I'm like Jacob at this point, I am absolutely done running. I'm so tired of living like this. I'm tired of feeling um, these fears. I know this is not your intention. And I've become a fraud because I look at your word and I see that I'm, I'm, it's okay to, to be tempted by fear, but I can't live in it because you call me to a life that says, I do not have a spirit of fear. And you give me 365 verses in scripture that say, I'm not overcome by fear, but that I'm to go to you when I'm tempted in fear and that, that you fix this. And so Lord, I can't keep living in this place. And so like, like Jacob, um, wrestled with you in the middle of the night, here it is the middle of the night with tears streaming down my face. And I need to wrestle well with you. And, you know, the point of that scripture story being that it wasn't that whether Jacob won or lost, it was that he was willing to enter in 
And God invited him in to this place of saying, enough is enough. And we know the end of the story that God blessed him. He gave him a new name. He, you know, started this, his promises were fulfilled. Um, but Isaac kept reading the end of that story is that after God did all that for Jacob, what did Jacob do? He let go. And so the title of my book, Unraveled, while initially Unraveled was just this coming undone, um, was actually the blessing for me. It was the place of ultimate surrender. You know, as moms, one of the things that we hold most dear, if not the most dear, is our children. Yeah. You know, we give everything up and can surrender everything, our careers and our finances, and we sacrifice but when it comes to our kids, Rachel, let me tell you, surrendering and saying, I will even give them to you, Lord, even my fears and concerns about them, I will surrender is, is tough. And so in, in those quiet moments, um, I had to give that up. And, and it wasn't until a friend addressed this with me. She said, you know, in the book, when you talk about every story, you have such faith. She said, it's not until the aftermath where you struggle. And that really was the reality for me. It was in the aftermath because what I was doing is I was living in the what if, because this had happened, you know, I, I could go to a pool just fine before. Afterwards, when you take me to a pool because of the trauma I had experienced, of course, there was this temptation of fear that was so great it could overtake me. And it came to a place where I said, you know, in this aftermath, where if I really believed God, if I really believed in him, then I had to, and, and I said that, then I had to move from a place of saying that I believed him to really believing him. I really, in my heart of hearts, had to act in that faith and I had to trust him. And so I stopped believing in what if, and I started believing in what is. And when you go back and you study the, the terms used for fear in scripture, there are like 10 total terms, I guess, but there are three main terms and both in the new Testament and in the old Testament, those terms are used interchangeably and they are the same terms for, um, terror and of a situation as, as well as, um, for reverence to God. And so when I started, when I recognized that it was kind of illuminating to me, it's like, okay, I've had this fear about what if, but really, if I can transfer that to what is, if I can have a, a healthy fear and reverence for God, that's where my freedom comes, you know, because um, I was just afraid of the wrong thing, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I was afraid of all this stuff that could happen because um, we're now that we're not only if we've had it happen to us, but if we're at this place of awareness, you know, we, we, you've bought my book, you've read chapter five, you know, about all this stuff that's, um, can happen to your children. You get on my website and you see, you know, all the statistics and you, you now, um, feel a little bit more vigilant because you have 11 tips on how to, how to avoid, um, being vulnerable. But at the end of the day, a lot of mamas aren't looking at this because it's so horrific. It's so hard to, you know? Yeah. And, and so what, what do you do as a mom at the intersection of awareness and reality and peace? Well, you surrender. You really trust in the God that you say you trust in. 
and you don't focus on what is you fo- or excuse me, what if you focus on what if. And so those are some of the things um, I did not want a mom to get halfway through my book and be like, wow, I have to put this down. This is just too deep. And so I'm, I'm very, I'm very um, sensitive to what I express in those first, that first half, half of the book. But I spend the latter half talking about now, where do we go from here? We're not going to stay in this place of fear and terror. Now that we're aware, we're going to move on from that and function and operate in the faith-filled, fearless life God calls us to, because we can't do anything. We can't, you know, if you want to save a victim, I believe that you have to save a victimizer. And as believers, we're the only ones that have the true antidote for um, this atrocity. You know, only free people can free people. And so that's why I started by saying you've got to eradicate mom fear before you can eradicate trafficking. Because we have to be in this, you know, as believers, a unified front and recognizing that we're not afraid um, that while we can be tempted by our fears, we don't live in them. What does it look like to cultivate our own narrative of freedom and thereby fulfill God's intention for us to free others? I love this question. It, um, it's one of the bullet points on the back of Unraveled. Um, and for me, it's the crux of this whole thing is that every woman has her story. Every woman has her story. And what's incredible, I've um, put mine out there, you know, Unraveled has gone to be a bestseller on Amazon and more people are hearing the story and it's, it's estimated already initially, I don't know if you knew this, but over 60 million people um, saw my viral warning, which is, was wow. such a sovereign blessing because that, for that reason um, is how I got in touch with my traffickers victim. And that was also purposeful and that I had all these people contact me. And so I had immediate access to all this research and relationships that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So, um, you know, throughout this three and a half year journey, um, I've had so many women say, you know, just share their stories with me. And so I always knew that everybody had their story because that's what the Bible promises. You know, Revelation 12, 11, we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So when we become believers, we all have our testimony. That's our fearless narrative, our story. And so it's getting us to look at our stories as rivaling. I mean, it's incredible to me. Revelation 12, 11, like, we're being told that our fearless narrative, our testimony rivals the blood of the lamb. I mean, that blows my mind. And so mm-hmm. we, um, we're, we take the, what God has done for us, the blood of the lamb, that story. And then what that story has done for us personally, our testimony, our fearless narrative. And those two things are what enable us to go out and live free and fearless and fulfill God's intention for us to free others, free people, free people. We have this story to tell. So now we can offer that to other people. And, you know, that, that the blood of the lamb in our words, Rachel, God promises in that scripture, Revelation 12, 11, changes people, changes people. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me too of like what you hate to go back to the what ifs, but what Satan meant to harm you, God is using for good. 
you know, what yeah. you were able to, what you experience now, you're able to open everybody else's eyes about yeah. to hopefully prevent the same thing that you um, were able to prevent. And so uh, I, I have loved this conversation so much. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear. So this season, I'm asking my guests who has loved them well. So Amanda, who has loved you well and how did they love you well? I love this question because it is, it is really the reality. Um, I talk so much in the book about rejection, you know, Christ, when he, with what he said was rejected. And that is something that resonated with me deeply because when this went as viral as it did, don't think for a second that everybody um, applauded me coming out and being honest with my story. Um, That was not the case. And although I was very diligent in not seeking what people were saying about me, some of it was unavoidable. And as a recovering people pleaser, which I talk about, um, someone who was coming out of fear, who had fear of man, I wrestled during a season greatly with um, wanting to just shut off the computer, take down the post and look the other way. But Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, where God talks about rescuing those who are unjustly sentenced to die, convicted me. And I thought, I cannot look the other way. I can't. It would be like the equivalent of bending down to a victimized child and saying, find someone else to help you. Mm. And so I couldn't look the other way. But, but that called me to being okay with being rejected. And it was incredible to me because while at the same time I was suffering from, you know, this cohort of people who were um, just uh, incredulous, I mean, just so hate-fueled, at the same time, my really good girlfriends were praying for me, were sending me these encouraging messages, were emerging to just um, support me and to you know, tell me things that only drew me near to Christ, who were, who became impassioned for this cause and who still today um, are now marching arm in arm with me. I mean, I have felt so loved by these women that, that I offer nothing to, um, that I can't offer anything to, that, that I, there's nothing I could offer that would rival the amount of sacrifice and the willingness that they put in to travel and take time away from their family and support me in the way that they have. Um, and I have felt so loved by the body of Christ in that. And I, I, I just would love to publicly thank them, thank that group of women who um, love God so much that it spills over and in, in, in that I am loved. And then second to that, obviously, is my family, my husband, um, who have loved me well, who have been there on the late nights, you know, and the early mornings, and who um, my husband has probably sat through more documentaries on child trafficking than you like. <laughs> but he's so gracious. Uh, he's so gracious. And he allows me to talk about it, even though it's such a heavy topic. He's yeah. just a gift to me. So thank you for asking. Yeah, I actually, I loved when you mentioned earlier how he prays with you at night when you have a nightmare. I mean, I think even just that, like what a picture 
of what a gift um, of a husband. So thank you so much. Those are both beautiful examples. Um, And so you mentioned some of the resources that you have on your website. And of course, you know, people will want to get your book as well. So tell us um, how listeners can keep in contact with you and and get these resources. Sure. It's really simple. My website um, is Amanda Flow, F-L-O is an open dot com, amandaflow.com. Um, you can buy the book under um, the buy tab. You can access any of the resources we've talked about today, including some exercises and even scripture verses. And um, last but not least, child trafficking organizations that I endorse. Um, in my research, I found some that have been exceptional and others that really have a bent that um, does not support Christian ethics or um, faith-filled ethics that they're, I'm sure, doing great things in some arenas, but the the message that they're sharing is is not one that um, it's it's skewed because it doesn't come from a Bible-believing perspective, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so um, over these years, I've been able to weed through that. And so I have an, a document, um, a resource that's all the endorsed agencies that I have worked with or have experience with. Um, so all those resources, how to purchase the book, more about the story, uh, details and facts, questions, you know, frequently asked questions is all there at amandaflow.com. And it's also uh, a way to message me too. I'm on Instagram at Amanda underscore Florzakowski and um, also on Facebook at Amanda Florzakowski. Okay. And we'll have that um, on the show notes as well. Um, and so, Amanda, thank you. Thanks so much for being my guest today and being so honest and transparent to share your story with us. It has been eye-opening for me personally, um, as I'm sure it is for many of the listeners, and and also inspiring um, to help us to mother fiercely without fear in a world that can be full of fears. So God bless you, Amanda. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Amanda. If you're interested in receiving her tips and resources and quotes, you can get those show notes at Rachel Adams Author on Facebook or on Instagram. And you can also get them in your inbox by going to rachelkadams.com. And because every week I send these show notes to my subscribers, as well as a weekly love offering of what I feel like God has been teaching me that I hope and pray encourages you as well. If this podcast has encouraged you, would you consider going over to your favorite listening platform and rating, reviewing, and subscribing this podcast? I would appreciate that so much. Next week, my guest is Season Bowers. Season is a radio host, author, speaker, wife, mom, and joy bringer. Her life circumstances have not always been what you would consider joyful, but somehow she has found the joy in the midst of them and shares how she has done that. So I hope that you will tune in next week as well. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.